So we're rolling. Oh, cool. Look how that happened. Uh, let's, let's, let's have band practice first and foremost, and let's warm up and play the standard path. Okay. Yeah. What did I put in here? You put in peach, green tea, and you said mint, I think? Oh man, it's that peach that's surprising me. I don't even like peach. I love peach tea, and I think that you are foolish for not liking it. Well, you like a lot of things that are wrong, so that's fair. Whatever. <laughs> I like tuning, and that's a good thing. That is a good thing. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess. I guess. Right, I suppose it's a good thing. My goal is to not fall out of this chair. <laughs> Just the one. We can evaluate in the end how well you've done. Yeah, right? This will be fun, I never play this guy. Shall. Beams this bright. I don't need to be sure. 
noisy I've really had my fill of shame I'm bobbing and I'm weaving Trying to reshape this frame I keep being reminded I don't know man, I'm just so fucking tired <laughs> Three and four and I don't need to be I think the key is just to play that volume you were playing on the choruses mm -hmm. a little bit softer yeah. the whole time. Yeah. And don't worry so much about crescendos and things because they are yeah. fun, but also audio poison for our setup right <laughs> Seriously. now. Seriously. Um, I'm going to take my rings off with this guy is mm. what I realized. Yeah. So that's, that's really what it was. Never intentional. Okay. That was okay. intentional. Yeah. I know you meant to do that. <laughs> cool. So where you've been at lately, my friend? Just in general? Mm-hmm, just in general. I'm just gonna eat these pretzels really obnoxiously into the microphone. That's a terrible idea. <laughs> the pretzels were a bad idea. <laughs> I've just been right here, just working, just working on things. Oh. I, the last couple days I've sort of been on the grind, you know? Yeah. I spent most of yesterday night after you left here transcribing that interview that I did with uh, Jack Hubble. Nice. So that was, that was... I think from like 11 until about 3, I was transcribing. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a lot of work. It is. Well, it, it came out to be about 6,500 words total. You know, at least 2,000 of those will get cut. There were a lot of personal asides in that conversation mm -hmm. where I would say, hey, this isn't for the interview, but you should know. And where he was like, hey, this isn't for the interview, but you should know. That's cool. So that was a lot of that. That's cool. It was a lot of fun, though. That is a lot of fun. Um, I'm really excited about all the things that you're working on. Which is nice. It's nice to be excited about creative work, um, and it's it's getting to that point where like the itch is starting to build. Like, hey, I want to be making stuff. I gotta yeah. make stuff. I should make stuff. Well, this is the thing about um, talking to Jack Hubble. I misremembered because uh, I had told you that he was trying to mitigate his output, and that was actually not the case. What he's actually doing is he's a guy who writes so many songs. He's actually thinking, I'm no longer waiting until I have enough for an album. I'm putting them out as I have them, just yeah. to build continuous kind of interest, mm -hmm. you know, and keep people continuously sort of in conversation yeah so i uh i thought for a really long time and i've struggled a lot this year with with output and mm -hmm. thinking that like everything that i make has to be commercially viable mm. um and has to have it like if it's not good enough to generate enough interest to get people willing to like open their wallets then it's not worth doing mm. which i know not to be true but also it just feels true <laughs> it feels yeah. like if i'm not working on things from that mindset then i'm not really working mm. Um, which means I haven't made any work at all. <laughs> that's what it comes down to. So, yeah, that's creative poison. Yeah. You don't need me to tell you that that's not yeah. how you should do things. Yeah. Um, because the project that I'm putting the most effort into right now is an EP of lo-fi hip-hop tracks with full of horse-based samples, which is not in any way commercially viable except as a as a novelty you might listen to once and then laugh at and then go on with your life you know what i mean yeah i say commercially viable but then you say horse ep and i'm like well wait a second take all of my money so apparently 
fine idea. <laughs> I mean, the ideal would be that this would be something that would be fun to listen to mm-hmm. and just a chill, fun time to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, I really do think it would be neat. Uh, as much as it is a novelty and it's a joke, I am at the same time trying to really get down to like what makes that uh, that genre of like lo-fi hip hop beats to study slash chill to yeah. so appealing to just have on as background music. Yeah. What are the elements of that sound that make it distinctive? Because mm-hmm. you you can put on one of those like YouTube you know live streams and you know when you've got like the good stuff. Yeah, and you know yeah, when yeah. you've got like the stuff that that fits that vibe. And so I'm sort of trying to figure out how to how to get there with with my limited resources and whatnot. Yeah. Well, limited resources aside, um, I would actually argue that working with limited resources makes things a little bit, I don't know, easier is not the word, but it kind of jump starts. Like we were talking about having specific parameters for this project. Yes. And uh, similarly, while you were working on the horse EP, that's just what I'm going to keep calling yeah. it. I hope that's not a it's not a problem. <laughs> I've for already you. decided I'm tagging it on Bandcamp as a uh, horse hop. So that'll be fun. <laughs> oh God, that's terrible and good. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> um, but while you were working on that earlier, um, I was making marks for the you know first time in a long time where I've really sat down and made a substantial effort to like make something and I've been carrying around just the pencil pouch that you know fits in whichever bag and what happens is um I'll take I'll take a handful of materials from around me and some of them might fit a color scheme and some of them might just be like well this is glittery and I feel like having that with me and making sure that I always have a pencil and an eraser and some kind of black ink and then from there everything else in that pencil pouch is up for like it's fair game you know like whatever ends up in there ends up in there and then that's all that I have with me and those are the tools that I'm working with and um it's not always fun but it's always like a worthwhile struggle of like well this is what I have so I'm gonna make it work like earlier I turned something green and I didn't mean to but that's where we are so when you have limited resources then you get more, either on purpose or accidentally, you find the ways in which you wouldn't usually use those tools. Yeah. If you were looking at the full span of all the things you had available to you, mm-hmm. art supply-wise, you would find the right tool for the right job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so when you don't have that option always, then you make do. You also, I mean, the job becomes something else. Like, you redefine what the job is, right. really. Like, I, I didn't, it's not like I'm making anything specific or, like, I have a vision in mind. It's really just, I need to make marks. So I anything will do. Right. You know? Um, not to make this completely a, a totally, you know, promotional thing for the horse hop EP. <laughs> Please but, talk more about a horse hop. Well, just it's all I care about. This is, one of those limitations is I'm not recording anything myself. And as far as samples go, I'm only using, you know, libraries of sounds that I already have and things I can find on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And so I really wanted a Lone Ranger yeah. sample of, yeah. of, you know, Hi-Ho Silver Away. Yeah. I couldn't get that on YouTube. But what I could get on YouTube was a clip from Ace Ventura 2 <laughs> of Jim Carrey saying Hi-Ho Silver Away. And Which I you, would argue is better. <laughs> and if you pitch it down, it sounds like what I was looking for all along. Mm-hmm. It, it, so that, you know. It, but then you secretly know that it's Jim Carrey, which just makes it better. <laughs> it's one of those like creative constraint things where it's like, well, I didn't have the thing I wanted, but I found something that works. And so that changed sort of what I, it changed my outlook on what I was looking for. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, as a, as a, to circle back around and then kind of change the subject, yeah, um, yeah. we're, we're, we're here in the basement, in this undisclosed location where we have band practice, and we're doing an episode of The Sainted Path, because I said, hey, let's do that, and you went, yeah, okay. Um, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for doing this with me. I recently have been um, trying to shed myself of expectations, oh. 
Um, especially given that we are in a season of change and, you know, winter is here and the, the year is coming to a close. And so it's time to sort of recap and reevaluate. And while you're doing all of that, life keeps happening and new things keep happening. And so it's kind of, it can be overwhelming. And the funny thing is I don't feel overwhelmed for once. And so specifically, I had uh, a weird falling out recently that took me by surprise because I didn't you know what I'm talking yeah. about and I'm trying to tiptoe around it but like I didn't think that that was even an option and I didn't think that that was going to happen you and didn't then, think that was actually going anywhere in fact yeah exactly and in fact I like we were we were doing other things like we were moving toward some other direction and then suddenly I woke up one day and I went hey this is not at all where I thought I'd be this morning <laughs> yeah um and it's been really cool and it's been really refreshing as frustrating and tedious as it's been um and I've been thinking a lot lately about like well what are you gonna do you know you just you keep on keeping on and you make the most of what you've got and you choose how you respond to life and so I have chosen to take a flipping chill pill I'm really bad at it it's a lot of hard work and it means that a lot of other things fall by the wayside but I've spent the whole year like trying to keep everyone else's pace. Well, it's part of being proactive and not reactive, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to take a chill pill to even know what's going to be the way you should respond to something. Yeah. Or else your your split-second reaction, your knee-jerk, is maybe not always the best way to go with, you know, especially when there's other people involved in a situation. Yeah. Um, but it's also, it's been, it's been like, I don't know, allowing myself the space to go, well, what do I want, though, and what do I actually care about yeah. has made it, like a really gentle kind of blow hmm. where it's not really a blow at all. It's sort of like, oh, okay, actually, I think this is the way that it always was. And I've been ignoring all of the red flags and signs. And so I'm just going right. to casually move in some other direction, which is thematic. That's a lot of what this year <laughs> has been. So, yeah. Adjusting your expectations and moving in different directions. Yeah. And really, really understanding that I shouldn't have any expectations of everything and just kind of showing up and doing my very best. I The problem with that I've noticed or that I've identified within myself is that I, I anticipate everyone thinking that my very best is not enough and then I feel bad about it and then I make myself feel bad. Like, well, are you trying hard enough and is that actually worthwhile and is it any good at all? I don't think so, which isn't fair and isn't kind. So it's Easy enough to be kind to other people. Still working on. It's it's a it's a theme that I came across when I was reading the book of Ecclesiastes. Mm, is, yes, I want to talk about the Bible with you so badly. Well, just because it's this it's this book. It's like nestled. I, I, I everything that I say here, I want to be clear, is just my interpretation and my the things I've learned from the sources I've consulted. Mm -hmm. um, no, in no way is it authoritatively, you know. It's just your perspective yeah. on your life right now in this moment. But but so so nestled in like the wisdom literature of the Hebrew scriptures, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> you have the Psalms and the Proverbs, which is in the, it's all sort of, sort of built on this worldview of, you know, uh, God is just, God uh, exalts, you know, the righteous and punishes the wicked. Mm -hmm. And you have this book of Ecclesiastes that says, those are great principles and God is just, but if you look at the world, uh, it doesn't always work that way. Mm -hmm. And part of, I think the suffering of life is, is when you have that expectation and it's, and it, you're let down by it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so part of the message I, as I understand it of that book is, is this, you know, uh, what you have to say is that, um, it's when things don't always go that way, your response has to just be to sort of, appreciate the moment you're in, appreciate the world for what it is, and 
that's the way to free yourself of that sort of of stress of of your expectations of how the world should be and just enjoy what you have yeah um and that's you know of course a, an oversimplification of, of all the, the many things going on yeah in that literature but that's that's one of the general principles i've kind of come, come kind of ugh, i've kind of come away with from that i've uh i learned this lesson the hard way again and again and again and i suppose i'll keep learning it and relearning it but every time i i think to reframe my perspective and i try and secularize things so that it's more palatable for everyone else that's when it really starts to become mm. a mess and that was the situation that i found myself in where i kept bending over to meet everyone else where they were at mm. and i did not expect or it's not even about having the expectation it's about not giving anyone the space to try and meet me where i was at mm. you know yeah and what i learned recently is if you shut yourself in or if you box yourself into something what happens when you close that door or put the lid on or whatever is you're also shutting people out yeah and i learned that when i got shut out and I realized, oh, that's silly. I'm not in the mood for this anymore. I'm not in the mood for this. And so um, I'm super, super, super happy that you're casually sharing with me everything that you're reading because it's helping me, you yeah. know. Well, I think what's been important for me is that uh, I wasn't examining my own belief system for so long and I wasn't really thinking critically about what it is I believe. And so part of it for me is, is um, as I'm doing that, I think the only honest way to do that is to also have these conversations with people that I know and, and tell them what I'm thinking. And when I remember to ask them what they think, yeah. I get very excited sometimes and I realize I've been talking at somebody and then I'll have to stop myself and say, but what do you think? Because yeah. that's, you know, <laughs> part of this, because I, I think you have to have both. I think you have to be honest with yourself and where you are, like you're talking about. And part of that I think is, is also... Um, in that openness, leaving space for other people to interface with it and yeah. tell you where they are. Yeah. And that's, so it's a, it's a balance you have to strike. Yeah. I, okay. So I, I've been thinking about forgiveness a lot lately mm. and what that even means. Yeah. Um, and how easy it is to be forgiving when enough time has passed and when, you know, you've done some healing, someone can, can just really act a complete fool a complete and utter clown and you can write them off okay do you notice this a lot where we are of the generation where people are like you don't need that negativity cut that out you don't yeah. got time for that i'm yes. over that we yeah. don't have space for that i think that there's a lot of i think that there is some there are real virtues in that like it really is important to understand what you are worth and what your time is worth and it's really important to understand that if people treat you badly you do not have to stand for it. Of course, like you yeah. should stand up for yourself and go, actually, that's not how I want to be treated. And this is disrespectful to me in my time, whatever. Yeah. But also any relationship worth having with anyone is going to be rocky and people are going to make mistakes and we all learn and grow. Mm. And not everyone is going to be on your wavelength all the time ever and vice versa. You're never going to be on the same wavelength as everyone that you love all the time. So you gotta, you have to make adjustments, and it's extremely uh, contextual. Yeah, also because it is. I, I feel like there's a very productive and a very important message thereof, um, and I think it stems from this sense of like, there are people who are in uh, toxic and abusive situations, and for people in those situations, it is an empowering message to say you don't you don't need this, you deserve better than this. Mm -hmm. Cut it out of your life. Yeah, um, and I think that's super valuable and important. 
Um, I also think it's trickled down a little bit to where we, we you know, I, and I, I'm speaking very broadly, <laughs> but I think there are times when it's very tempting to, as somebody who's not in that situation, kind of adopt that that stance of, yeah. of anything that's not in this exact moment helping me grow mm-hmm. or benefiting me, then I don't need it. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's a line to walk and I don't mean to talk out of turn here. I'm not, I'm not speaking specifically about any kind of situation or anybody's issues. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have realized that with forgiveness often comes humility Yeah. and sometimes you do have to eat the hurt. Yeah. Sometimes you have to go, okay, I am super butthurt about this and I really wish this hadn't happened, but it did. Yeah. It did though. And so like you can... You can choose to focus on your hurt, and it's not always, I don't know, it's not always an option to be an adult and to sit down with other adults and to go, hey, here's the problem with this, and yeah. here's why it affected me. Yeah. Sometimes you kind of just got to eat shit and then, <laughs> and then figure out, I mean, I know, that that's, yeah. I know that that's extreme, but you do have to, okay, so I always hesitate to give real-world examples of what I'm dealing with because yeah. I never know who's going to catch this, you know, like this is just floating in the ether, and I don't ever want to be too specific but uh I had this friend this is a different situation than I was referencing earlier but I had this friend and it was a super copacetic situation until it wasn't yeah okay this person had crossed some lines that they shouldn't have crossed and I know you know who I'm talking about and that was it and then I almost died and then this person came out of the woodwork to say like oh wow Like, I really wish that hadn't happened. Like, are you okay? And they kept making the effort to reach out. And I wasn't here for it. Yeah. I was not okay with it. Like, nope, you burn the bridge. You should know better. You should have known better. I don't know. I'm kind of over it because recently (laughs) this person popped up out of the woodwork and it was the same shit as always. Yeah. And it was nice, you know? And I realized we're, we're never going to be any more or less than what we are. Yeah. And I don't want to hate you. As long as that boundary doesn't get crossed again, mm-hmm. then that's not necessarily a, a bad place to be. Exactly. As long as you're not, as long as it's difficult with people and knowing the situation like I do, it's difficult to know <laughs> that, that it's a still going to be a safe place to be yeah. relationally. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. Um, again, super contextual. Super. I know it's always so, so, so hard to speak about anything in broad terms. I do it all the time and yeah. it's just, it just makes a mess, but... It's a thing I, I struggle with and am still doing a lot of learning and trying to understand with as a as a person approaching from a Christian perspective, this idea of forgiveness. Yeah. Um, I've been listening a lot to this preacher, uh, this, this teaching preacher, uh, Tim Mackey, who's a Hebrew and uh, Greek scholar. Um, and uh, uh, talking, uh, he's, he's, he has a podcast called Exploring My Strange Bible, and he's going through this massive, massive, uh, in-depth series on the book of Matthew, unpacking a lot of the, the, um, ways in which it gets misunderstood and the ways in which it says things that we, you know, don't understand in context of our own situation. Mm -hmm. And he, he deals with this whole exhaustive, uh, lecture on one section about forgiveness and what it means and what the teaching was, um, because there's this misconception that it, it's, uh, Obviously, it's important, and obviously, it's a thing that you should always be moving towards, mm-hmm. but it, le- it leads a lot of people to read it as you should be a doormat, and you should yeah. let everything happen to you, and yeah. that's not actually what the teaching was, but it's difficult to understand how to not be that way and still 
be always moving in a direction of, you know, uh, forgiveness, which doesn't yeah. always mean reconciliation and doesn't yeah. always mean restoration of, of things the way they were exactly before. Mm-hmm. I had this moment where, um, I felt a great amount of guilt and I didn't recognize it for guilt until, un- until some time had passed, but I felt so guilty. Like, damn, someone else is suffering too. I'm not the only person involved in this equation. And, you know, if I, if I can ease that person's suffering and if I can offer words of comfort, it doesn't necessarily mean that we need to be friends or that I need to accept any apologies, which weren't being made anyway, but like, (laughs) uh, what do you do with that? Like what, ah, I could be fixing this. And then I had to stop and realize it's not my responsibility to fix this in this particular instance. It's not my responsibility to try and ease that person's suffering if it means that I am suffering because of it. It's hard to draw those lines. It's hard to know when, what is the appropriate level of, of, um, self-preservation and what's the appropriate level of self-sacrifice for the common good. And it also, going back to having expectations or rather not having them, it also then begs the question, like, well, what do you, like, what do I want? Like, what kind of life do I even want to be living? Like, how much of this do I want to hang on to? Yeah. Is this, was that transgression as serious as I think that it was? Or can I choose to like recontextualize? You know, like I get to tell myself any story that I want. Granted, lines were crossed, but not as many... It, it it also, in a way, feels like in those kinds of interpersonal situations, like there can be kind of a statute of limitations in your own yeah. head where it's like, yeah, but that was then mm-hmm. and it's been a while and we can't dredge that up again. And, yeah. And there's a feeling of of having the moments passed, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and that's also something that's difficult to, to navigate to yeah. then say the moments passed for sure. It would be it would be disruptive to reapproach that mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a value judgment and a cost-benefit sort of yeah. emotional cost-benefit analysis you have to make of, of is this healed? Is this still an issue? Um, or is this something that, you know, we can move on from? And, and it's water under the bridge. Water under the bridge. Hmm. You were thinking also in a more global sense when you when you brought up this topic of I was I was thinking specifically of current events um I showed up at work one day and found out after the fact that it was an all desk day which meant that like our a lot of our other responsibilities were put on hold to cater purely to customer service because we were going to be really busy that day all desk days are usually like federal holidays and days when kids are off of school and um because we work at a used bookstore there's a lot more traffic on days like that so I was really confused. I didn't understand, like, yeah. what bank holiday am I missing? Yeah. Like, what's going on? It's just a regular, regular day of the week. And then I was informed that it was a national day, day of, of mourning. mourning. Yeah. And I vomited in my mouth quite a bit. <laughs> and it honestly, I looked around and I tried really, really hard for probably the first, not the first time, okay, for... I tried to put myself in everyone else's shoes, and I tried to see the world that the way everyone else around me saw it. The people that were like, yeah, it's, we're in mourning. The people that were mourning. I tried to understand why we would mourn a war criminal. And I get it, okay? I, I, I looked around at all the old dudes wearing, you know, veteran caps and all the wars that they fought in buying their westerns and their their Clive Cussler novels and I tried to understand like what do you feel? Like why is this important to you? 
and I saw it, and I, if I remove all of my feelings from the equation, I get it. Like, that's your version of the world, and this figurehead that you believe in, this beautiful ideal that you hold so dearly, is at the forefront, and we're sad. <laughs> I understand well, those it's feelings. A, it's a loyalty to it, to an idea of of the place you grew up and the and the world that you believe in and yeah, what it all stands it's, for. It's, it's a real. It is a, a kind of loyalty, I think, and a kind of of sense of um, that you owe something to the to that. Yeah, you owe something to the the world that you um, see as as yours and the place that you think you occupy in it yeah um and the structure that you that you believe is the is the right structure i i'm speaking extremely vaguely right now but but it's it i think it really is about sort of um this idea of of a narrative mm -hmm. of nation yeah. a narrative of uh your own kind of um the way the way that you classify yourself yeah um, because i have recently come to you know not so recently, but it, dawning over the, the last many years, um, I don't see myself as an American first, second, third, even fourth, mm -hmm. you know, I'm mm -hmm. a human being. And then, uh, a couple of other steps yeah. removed. And then, yeah. yes, I do live here and I, I have some kind of responsibility for that yeah. and some kind of, of, I, I wouldn't call it loyalty, some kind of obligation to that yeah. in its way. Um, but it's it's not I don't ever want to wave a flag and and jump up and on a podium and and yeah. and defend I don't I certainly don't want to go anywhere you know and and defend it to somebody else yeah for whatever purpose um I think probably a lot of that was going to college and realizing like I think I think it was tied up also in that realization of like yeah I don't have any loyalty to this institution mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. I'm going here and I appreciate the service they provided me with the money that my parents gave them to provide it for me yeah and I, I i have a certain respect and um responsibility to that but i'm also not buying spirit wear and i'm not going to sports games and i'm not cheering on the institution because yeah. they've also you know done things that i don't appreciate yeah and so i think i think about my national kind of identity in a similar way of mm -hmm. like um yeah i was born here yes i have certain civic duties and obligations and a certain level of respect i guess mm -hmm. but i don't feel the need to, I don't, I don't, I'm not interested in the pageantry of it. Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in the, um, the sort of public sort of expression of that. Yeah. Um, this is all, this is all my stance on this. And I know that yours is, is a great deal more complicated than that. And uh, I, or, but it, it, yeah. it overlaps a lot. It's very, it's very similar. It's the same thing where it's like, this is a product of circumstance. I was born here. I was raised here. I, for better or for worse, I'm a part of this society. And so I have an obligation and a responsibility to be the best version of myself for the greater good. Yeah. You know, I do believe in truth and justice. I don't believe that truth and justice are an inherent part of, of this American of society. This American society. Yeah. In fact, I know better. I know from experience that they are not. Yeah. And you firsthand had that experience that it's not. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. it and it's bigger than my lifespan. It's bigger than me and it's bigger than you. And it's been going on for as long as those old dudes at the bookstore were yeah. were actively participating. And and I can't as ever 
I struggle because it's like, well, what about the rest of us? Yeah. Like, how are we so far gone? How has so much time passed? And there are so many of us yeah. that are marginalized and unrepresented and, and actively being erased. And there's such an abhorrent lack of justice. And now we're in a national day of mourning and I can't even go do all of the other jobs I need to do while I'm on the clock because yeah. I have to cater to this bullshit. <laughs> you know, yeah. like it just doesn't it just doesn't jive with me. And, and 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 I think where you come at it and where I think is the most kind of grievous sort of um, issue, even more so than than just domestically, you know, justice and and um, those kinds of uh, marginalizations and everything. I, I really do think it, it's rooted in imperialism yes. and this belief that um, there's some higher uh, value to um, American sort of are, are just our posture towards the world mm -hmm. and and there's a real reverence for that and a lot of the time it is because of of people's participation yeah. and i really i really do empathize with this sense or i i hope to empathize with this sense of a lot of people have given up a lot for that cause and a lot of times it was it for a lot of people you know military was the way they were going to put themselves through school and and the GI Bill was how they were going to, yeah. you know, get themselves on an okay footing to survive. Yeah. And I mean, my sister was in the army. My cousin yeah. was in the Navy. They're both, they're both vets. They're both. And, and so I think, I think, um, <clears throat> um, there's a real, the stakes are very high for, for that cause to have been just and for that cause to have been right. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> I think that the stakes are impossibly high for that to for for the things that we do on the international scene to be the right things, yeah. and so I think that I think that if they're not, I think it it it's very hard for people to um, approach that in any way or or understand or or not understand but um, to interface with it even in any way. I think very often. Um the attitude that I'm, I don't, I don't bring it up. I don't talk about it. I don't deal with it. I just ignore it. And I bite the bullet and go about my day because when you do talk about it, it is, it is a point of contention always. There is no peaceful way as far as I have encountered in my 20 odd years of life to sit down and go, well, actually, you know, this is how I feel. And I, and I, and I don't like it, and it's not good, and we need to address the fact that this is not good. <laughs> like, just just as simple as that. And you can't yeah. tell me that I'm wrong. There's no way for you to say that there's a right and wrong to this. Like, when you commit certain acts and when you do certain things, they are wrong unequivocally. And it's not black and white, but it's pretty, like, that's it, okay? And again, we're, I'm being very, very, very general here. I'm also being here. very general. I, I'm not but, speaking about any circumstance in yeah. particular. It's so... When you have an issue like that, when we're talking about a war criminal, what I've been trying to reconcile in my head to this recently is that here we have a war criminal who, aside from their place in public office and aside from having actively done harm to the world at large, this is also a person that I don't know. And this is a person that had an entire life and an entire family, and they had all of their own interpersonal relationships that I'll never know anything about. So I've been sitting here thinking about all of the friends that I'm not currently friends with and all of the friends that I wasn't friends with that I am friends with again, and all of the nuances and the ins and outs of that. And I've been thinking about how little it matters to anyone else. 
You know, like the minute you become, the minute you meet someone new in your life and you start paying attention to them and, and showing an interest in them and what they have going on, you realize like, oh, you've got your own set of circumstances and all of these other people in your life that you're dealing with and all of these other coworkers and, and old, you know, partners and parents and, and whatever. There's so much. There's so much going on with all of us. And at the same time, it's all the same shit, you know? The circumstances are different. The details are different. But we're all people and none of us are islands and none of it is irrelevant. Like this old dead dude and I know that that's I know that that's like super disrespectful and I don't even care but like (laughs) this guy was just a guy okay and I'm sure to some people he was the greatest guy in the world to me personally fuck that guy (laughs) am I gonna sit here and clap and cheer because he's dead no because that's a human being that passed through this world and the way that I choose to interpret you know good and evil like that's super subjective like I my perspective is limited by my experience and I try and keep an open mind and I try and understand other people's perspectives so that I might broaden mine. But even still, yeah. I'm working with a limited set of tools here. And I just, it gets to a point though where in my everyday life with the people that I interact with and the people that know me where I don't have the space to go, hey, fuck that guy. This was like, this whole world that I live in that just just fuck all of that. <laughs> Not here for any of it. And then to have people go, well, no, you're wrong. Yeah, I think there's a way in which, and this is, I think, part of what you're talking about is the sense of trying to observe the dignity of another human being and also try to engage with the ways in which that uh, that one, you know, individual dignified human being, um, you know, did some... Did some bad <laughs> did things. Some bad things. And, and I think the real... the the that gets really thorny for us because as, as just as people, because I think if we acknowledge that sort of, um, if we try to get away from that kind of moral relativism of like, well, some things are worse than others. So it's still okay to laud this person for things. Um, I think the part of the tricky part of that is that means it also makes it hard to celebrate the people that we like and the people we think are good people. That's true. Um, I think because that cuts both ways, doesn't it? It To say, that person that I think is, you know, uh, the greatest person in the world, well, they're also just a person. Mm-hmm. And there's also a way in which somebody else can look at that person that, who I think is the greatest and show me all the ways in which they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it, in both cases, it is, you know, I, I think, especially as somebody who didn't know a person personally, mm-hmm. I don't think it's my place to either, on the one hand, stand up and say, this is the greatest man that ever lived and we should all, you know, have a moment of silence and respect. Yeah. Or to say, this man was the devil incarnate and if you're bowing your head in respect, then that's you too. Yeah. I think there's a way in which we have to sort of, you know, acknowledge the dignity of a a person and um, in whatever the, you know, the way to do that and also talk about the ways in which they were a complicated, dignified yeah. human person. Yeah. Um, I think I think either extreme is is a difficult and flawed kind of response. Yeah. I mean, context is everything, right? So if we are contextualizing this and saying that this is a public figure, yeah. and especially a political public figure, right. then I think the real issue is our collective unwillingness to go, okay, well, politically, yeah. we need to reevaluate. Yeah. And we all need to to openly take a step back and go, okay, 
here are the bad things, and there are a lot of them. We need to own up to all of these things, and we need to acknowledge all of the bad in it. And we're not willing to do that. I mean, these old farts at the bookstore are, are so cemented in their, in, their, in their view of the world that there's no room and no compassion for anyone else in yeah. their worldview. It's, it's a way in which I think the cult of personality around the office of the presidency mm-hmm. becomes this way in which we believe that we, we have some personal investment and connection to the person. Yeah. I think it's also part of living in a democracy is, is saying, well, you know, a lot of people voted for that guy. Yeah. And so there's a personal stake. Again, the stakes are so high for that person having been the right person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, again, that we need to approach these things with humility and to say, yeah. You, that was, you know, a, a, I, something I strongly believed was right. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it, yeah. um, about about the ways in which uh, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. He died also on World AIDS Day, which is another way in which I think there are other sorts of mourning and other kinds of of acknowledgments and observances that preempt even the even the American president. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, especially an American president who was not a friend to people who really needed help at that point. Yeah. I mean, without getting too too deep into, actually, I don't know why I always stop myself from getting political. This and is from your being show, angry. so you're, you're setting the standard here. I'm sort of following your lead. Do you see what I'm saying though about always catering to the imagined beliefs and expectations of other people? And it's all in my well, head. But but I, yeah, no, I do. Yeah, I do know what you mean. Yeah, um, yeah. I I try in my stance to be uh, open about what I believe and not. Um, and yet, I want to be able to have conversations with people. And part of that is just the fact that I'm who I am. Mm-hmm. And I'm occupying a demographic space in the world where I have a voice that people might listen to. Mm-hmm. And so I think I personally have a certain responsibility to um, be able to speak to people yeah. who you, you might not be able to have a conversation with mm-hmm. in the way you would want to. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's a that's a line I've I've tried to walk is just to um, to speak what I believe is the truth mm-hmm. and to have the conversation with difficult conversational kind of of uh, territory. Yeah. Yeah. I've fallen into this really bad habit lately of just not having the conversations. Yeah. And uh, and for a long while, I've been I've been wrestling with the idea of the value of like, is it worth anything to have the conversation? Like, yeah, is it worth anything to be? Tr- I can't answer that for you. Yeah, to be truthful and honest and how truthful and how honest. And then that's yeah. really dicey territory. And again, context is everything. So there's a time and a place, I guess. I, I, but- think, I think the way I come at this is, um, and this is not a judgment or a recommendation for you. Mm-hmm. In my own personal experience, the thing that I have found is that it is easier to talk to people about, about things like imperialism than it is to talk to people about things like specific policies of the late President George H.W. Bush. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think if we can have conversations about those broader topics, I, I hope that then that leads people to reevaluate the individual and and circumstantial sort of things i hope i think i think it can be productive to start with a broad kind of worldview Mm -hmm. and work your way down to uh foreign policy under a certain administration yeah um speaking of foreign policy under a certain administration so a couple episodes ago i was really struggling because i was thinking about jimmy carter and i was thinking about well i was actually so in my mind 
I was thinking about McCarthyism mm. and I was thinking about the Red Scare and then I thought about Nixon and then I thought about Carter and I thought how it's it's all progressive and there's this there's this direct linear narrative as you go from one world leader to another that shaped and created the world that we find ourselves in now and I thought my god how tedious to try and go and work your way backwards and to get all of the context and the yes. whole scope to understand where you're standing right now and then I probably pulled some of my hair out and stopped doing my radio show for a while because it's like I don't even know where to begin with any of it I don't know how really the issue is just being face to face with someone and saying this is my experience and yeah. this is my worldview and having them look you in the eyes and then invalidate it yeah that never stops being a problem and that never stops hurting. And even though you have to try not to expect it and you have to try and give people the space to meet you where you are and you have to try and you have to try. <laughs> but it really, it's like, what is it worth? Why? Why do yeah. I have to try? I don't know. I yeah. don't know why. Yeah, because I mean, because otherwise you just keep doing it. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe someday you do. I will say something, and it will reach someone, and they will go, "Oh." I, I think very much about those kinds of individual moment by moment things. I, I when I used to work at the bookstore, um, this is going to make you mad. It made me mad. <laughs> there was a guy who came up to the counter, was buying, I believe, Bibles and religious type materials, and he asked me if I was a Christian, and I said yes. And he was talking about converting people from Islam in the Middle East. Hmm. And he made a comment about, and have you read the Quran because there's some really ugly stuff in there? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you can take anything out of context and there's plenty of stuff in the Bible as well that people find objectionable. I certainly <laughs> didn't say it that eloquently, mm -hmm. but I made some, I, I tried to make a comment like, well, I don't know if that's a fair judgment call to make. And it was so clear how he had made this assumption about who I was and based on that, what I would commiserate with him about. Mm -hmm. And I would also say, ah, yes, it's a great thing that this thing is going on. And it's also, you know, it, because um, I share your worldview and I believe that religion is abhorrent. And when I didn't respond that way, it was very clear there was a moment of, oh, I yeah. see. That's yeah. not. And and especially in those kinds of retail transactions, it's very, you, there's no way to, to think that that makes any kind of impact or that that um, goes anywhere, but yeah. I think it's still important to have those moments of, to be honest in those moments about, um, where you stand and what is true. Mm -hmm. Um, which is hard. It's harder for me now because I work, uh, you know, in an office at night where nobody's around. Yeah. And so I, it's very easy for me to get in my own head and stop paying attention to my interactions with people in yeah. the world. There's, um, it might be a, it might be a, hadith somewhere a teaching of the prophet narrated by whomever at whatever point i'd have to look it up to remember but uh it the the phrase rattles around in my head a lot indeed i am of the muslims this idea of of taking ownership of your identity and of declaring loudly to the world like yes this is what i choose to believe and this yeah. is how i choose to behave because ultimately your religion is your behavior yeah it's it's the way that you react and respond to the world around you right and i've i've actually had similar situations where where for whatever reason people will assume like oh yeah you're on my side yeah you were on the same team and they'll start saying things to me and then i go actually no actually because and then, there's, there's a real impulse. I think we fall into these, I do anyway, and it's maybe it's my privilege and my luxury to be able to do this. But I think there's ways in which in everyday conversation you can fall into the default stance of gentle, 
uh, reinforcement of whatever the other person is saying. Do mm-hmm. you just give him a yeah? You just give him a sure? Yep. You just give him a yeah? Okay. You give him an all right. You're just you know? very passive. As and... a passive, you're talking at me, and I'm 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 allowing you to talk at me, mm-hmm. and I'm sort of just gently allowing you to keep doing that yeah, without thing... challenging or without giving you what I I think. Mm-hmm. It's a thing that that especially when I used to work at a place like the bookstore, I would realize like no, I'm I'm doing that, and that's there's maybe... so much space for that. Yeah. Uh, it, similarly. But very different um, when you're being sexually harassed. Yeah, so that's another whole uh-huh. can of worms. That's another whole can of worms. It's I one have, of those. I have no. I have no. Uh, nothing to say or contribute on that. Please uh, go on. Uh, it's it's like this. You don't want to rock the boat. You know, you don't want to make anyone uncomfortable, and you don't want to cause a confrontation where there doesn't need to be one. But also, people will come at me, and they'll call me darling, and it's. I really hate. I really hate when other people tell me to take a chill pill about that. Yeah. It's not that serious. You're overreacting. They, okay, so let's use old men specifically. Old white men specifically. When an old white man comes up to me and calls me sweetheart, here's why it's a problem. I understand that they are of a different generation and a different. they're from a different time and place. And I understand that it's endearing and it's meant with kindness, okay? There is a level of goodness involved, okay? I, like, I can see that. It's not always the case. Some of these dudes are grody. Like, I'm not going to give all of y'all a pass. Yeah. But the problem is that if I were a man, nobody would be coming up to me and calling me darling. That's true. Okay? It's true. So what happens is I'm being objectified. I'm being looked at as an object, as a woman who is a thing and not a person. Yeah. That's a pretty girl. Hey, darling. Yeah. Let me be extra nice to you, not because you deserve it, not because you've earned it, not because I am especially respectful of everyone that I come across. You specifically are attractive to me in some way, shape, or form, and that is how I am going to now shape our interaction. Yeah. That's why that shit is problematic. Yeah. And it's the same thing where you don't always want to be like, fuck off, grandpa. (laughs) I am on a much milder... (laughs) And much less consequential note. Mm-hmm. I had this pet peeve where a lot of men, older men, when I would when I was working at the bookstore, the one I would get a lot is buddy. Yeah. They say buddy. And I felt I always felt very condescended to. Mm-hmm. I mentioned this to a manager once who, you know, told me, Well, that's you know, it's it's endearing, it's familiar, it's mm-hmm. here's what they mean by that. It's another it's a generational thing also. And I, I understood. And and for me that was not any any large, you know, uh, that that was no problem to swallow that and mm-hmm. say, well, I guess that's just the way people are. But yeah. another, there's cases like the ones you're describing where um, it's actually it, you don't know whether it's more harmful to say, don't call me sweetheart, yeah, or to just suck it up. So the so for starters, now we've got this microaggression, yeah, because that's all it is. It's microscopic. It's small. It's fleeting. It's passing. So you have to. And again, all of these interactions, when it happens in your place of work, when it happens out in the world and it's it's quick, you have to evaluate quickly on the spot. Like, mm. is it worth, A, rocking the boat? Well, I hate that because my boat's already been rocked. So now it's a question of like, well, I'm taking a loss either way. Yeah. You just disrespected me full stop and we're not acknowledging that that was disrespectful. Two... If I say something to you and you get offended, then it's this whole thing. If I don't say anything to you, then, again, I'm eating shit and it's this whole thing. <laughs> and I don't want to go around living like this. It's It shouldn't be this difficult, you know? 
I'm I'm maybe the worst person in the world to weigh in on how you should respond to a microaggression. So I'm not going to one way or the other. But I, I recognize the pro- the the mental algebra you have to do in yeah. that moment and the difficulty of that. Sometimes it's okay to be like, you know, you can you can lob it back at them. Okay, so this <laughs> this friend that I oh, this is a great time to stop and play a song. So this friend that I stopped being friends with because they had transgressed some icky bullshit, uh, fell into a, a, a similar category where it was like, okay, you have zero respect for me and for my personhood and for who and where who I am and where I am. And I can say something to you. And I did say something, and it was not received well. Mm. It was received so poorly. I mean, it blew up. Like, I have yeah. not had an outburst like that since <laughs> since middle school, you know? Like, yeah. we used to throw fists, and this was as close as I've gotten to that in a long time. And it yeah. was like, whoa. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> so sometimes it's worth doing that, though. Sometimes yeah. you got to shake shit up enough. And because the question you then have to ask is, if... if that's what's going to happen if you say something, mm-hmm. then is this a worthwhile, is this relationship on solid ground anyway? Yeah. If, if that little provocation can set things off yeah. like that, yeah. well then why are we just maintaining this, this level of, of peace that we are? Yeah. Not that peace is a bad thing or that, you know, harmony in that way, but it's not really peace or it's not really harmony if yeah. there's that thing underneath it where if you touch it, it'll blow up. Yeah. Not to not to single out all geriatric straight white men um, to let me let me dial it back and kind of pull all men into the conversation because it becomes this thing where we collectively hate talking about it. Yeah. We just hate it so fucking much and it's yeah. so tiresome. And the problem is so many of us are out here doing the mental algebra all the time. It's exhausting. A lot of the time, my safety is a real yeah. concern. You have to think about that where other people don't have I to have think to about think that. about it constantly. There is really never a moment in my life where I am not vigilant about this. And it's exhausting. And people don't realize it. And even when you say it out loud, like, I'm thinking about this all the time, it sounds like, I mean, I'm prone to hyperbolize. So it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, okay. But I'm not exaggerating when I say every literal minute of every day. Like, are my doors and windows locked when I'm in bed at night? Like, how, you know, if someone breaks into my home, I'm not worried about them stealing my stereo. I'm worried about them creeping into my bedroom. It's that that feeling sometimes you get after you've just seen a horror movie of around every corner somebody's waiting to do something, except it's all the time default. Yes, it's real. And nobody wants to talk about it. And if you don't talk about it, and if you do talk about it and then they blow up at you, it's like, well, this is why we're not talking about this. So I'm glad to put it out into the ether and maybe someone else will hear it and they'll be like oh shit i should talk to all my lady friends and my sisters and cousins and aunts and or if, at the very least if we're not going to talk about it maybe i will re-examine my posture and my attitude toward the world and maybe i will make more of an effort to m- ensure that i'm not making people feel unsafe in my everyday life mm-hmm. i think it, even as simple as that obviously on a grand scale these conversations need to be had but I also feel like there's a way in which, personally, if if men took more individual responsibility for the ways in which their actions could impact people who are not comfortable with their actions, yeah, I think that would also just be another big step in the right direction. Is is um, yeah, it, it, obviously communication is hugely important yeah. in relationships, um, but it also I think has to start with something internal. Yeah, circling back around to, like, I don't know it. 
remember that one time I dated that one guy who when I when I said specifically like actually don't call me honey and darling and sweetheart and babe it's not funny it's, yeah. he would do it he would do it intentionally he would poke at me and 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 I'd be like it's not funny though I'm not gonna laugh about it and then we would get into these philosophical arguments they weren't conversations it yeah. wasn't healthy discourse it was an argument where I was being told that I was wrong you're too sensitive about this I asked one other woman one time in passing at work while she was doing something else how she felt and she said that she didn't care so you're clearly wrong and you're taking this too seriously and it's like it's with anything else where you try and tell someone like hey this is my experience and they invalidate that and they go no I don't know about that don't do that people want to be able to you know, philosophize that way without being mindful of themselves. Yeah. There's a way in which we can have these conversations all day about these grand, you know, scale dynamics, power dynamics and structures in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a real impediment to that going anywhere is people is, is not willing to be mindful of yourself and your place in the world and your impact on other people. And that's something that I've had to, you know, do a lot of, of thinking about just because of the, again, place and demographic I was born into. Yeah. And I think there's a way in which people don't, it's, it's difficult <laughs> to do. And it's difficult to, um, to make that be something that that's productive. Um, and again, it's, up, it's rocking the boat. And if you're and you, sometimes you have to rock your own boat mm. and that's daunting. And that's it's uncomfortable, uncomfortable. And the thing about life is that it is uncomfortable. And the sooner you get familiar with discomfort, the sooner you can move past it when it happens and when you experience it, you get better at at working through the feelings and recognizing that the feeling is not everything, you know, and, and we can we can feel this and experience this and it's valid and it's here and then we can feel something else because we've worked through it, you know. Um, we should play geriatric jush. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. I'm going to send a text real quick. Cool. Um. And then, uh, oh, cool, Rhino's on his way. Um, this is a fun song. This is a fun song. I was super chuffed. We played that gig recently, and we got a laugh in a place where we've never gotten a laugh before. Yeah. Um, so that we was... also got a, a genuine laugh. This is off topic, but we got a, a, a real laugh. We played our cover of uh, In Bloom which is very acoustic. Yeah. And when we got to the chorus, we actually did get a laugh from a couple of people who didn't realize where it was going. Yeah, yeah, didn't yeah. know what we were playing until we got to the chorus. And that I also super appreciated. That was sort of the reaction I was hoping for on that. We might pick that one up too. We'll see. Maybe we'll play it later, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, why not play all our songs in C, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's that thing where pop is for everyone, whether they know it or not. Hope you all like the people's key. <laughs> Music for the masses. It's democracy. <laughs> it's democratic. We've democratized it. We've democratized Nirvana. Suck it. <laughs> rest in peace. <laughs> God rest his soul, Kurt Cobain. This one's for George. <laughs> oh, God. All right. I'm, we're all going to hell. Let's go. <laughs> we're in hell. That's how That's it works. That's so true, though. Oh, my this God. This is hell. Nor am I out of it. <laughs> Just play the stupid song. I've got more Faustus quotes if you want them. <laughs> this is why I hang out with Taylor Ruckle exclusively. That and medieval literature. Always on my fingertips.
Your grandpa's got a new girlfriend Will spend his pension over the weekend He doesn't keep up with all of the new trends We fall asleep on the couch watching C-SPAN Honey, I don't want your man But watch your granddad He used to be a Black Panther If a call was raised, he would answer her His whole generation's got cancer He's mastered dad jokes and witty banter If he ain't with AARP Then he's not the man for me for that IRA money. <laughs> we should uh, we should write some alternate verses for that when we think of new jokes. Yeah. You know, keep people on their toes. Honestly. Um, there's plenty of old people jokes there's we can still There's so make. much material, like an infinite number of things to tap. Basically so. Um, I, I uh, had thought before we started playing that, oh, what was it? God dang it. I knew I was going to lose my train of thought. It's probably for the best. No, I was thinking about, oh, friendship. I was thinking about showing up and what it means. Like, so there's forgiveness and then there's also like having to evaluate 
what is this worth? Yeah. You know? Having friends is a beautiful thing. Not having friends is a, is a beautiful thing. It's difficult and it's it's weird. I've gone so much of my life, I've spent so much of my life on my own um, in an like a, a emotional wasteland. A lot of the time, I can I can say this now as an adult, like a lot of the time I, I relegated myself into that yeah. prison for no reason, or maybe not no reason. It, it needed to happen that way for me to learn the things I needed to learn. But a lot of it was self-imposed. Yeah. A lot of it was not. And there's a great deal of beauty that comes with understanding what it means to be really lonely and to be really alone. And it's hard. And I don't like it necessarily, and I hope it never happens to anyone else, but, like, that's life, and that's the way that it is sometimes. So when you have friends, it's great. It's beautiful. It's a whole brand new way to be. The problem is that if you come, if you are operating from this place, like this poverty mindset of like, oh, I've, I had nothing before and now I have this and it's better than nothing. You know, you, again, to use the phrase one more time, you eat a lot of bullshit that way. <laughs> you just do. You set yourself up to just take a lot of abuse for no reason. And um, I've been thinking a lot lately about like, okay, what kind of friend? So when other people, when you learn from experience, when you learn the hard way, when life deals bruises and then you start to evaluate like, okay, what did I not appreciate about having just been punched in the face? Like, why did that suck? What part of that was the worst, et cetera, et cetera. You got to recognize that everything that happens in this world is a reflection of what's going on in your head. Everything that you come up against in life is you coming up against something and, yeah. and trying to stop and have the presence of mind and the self-awareness to go, oh, okay, well, how am I responding to this? And so what I've been doing a lot lately or been trying to do is asking myself, well, what kind of friend am I being? Mm. If these are all of the things that are happening to me that I don't appreciate, where in my life am I perpetrating that bullshit? Because it's not unrelated. And if it's happening to me, it's because I'm doing it to someone else. It's not always like a one-to-one -one ratio. Yeah, it's not always it's how not, that works. It's but. not, yeah, no, no, no. It's not always an even exchange, but you'll notice that it's it's always prevalent in some way. Mm. I am prone to doing this, or I recognize this, and it's because in the past I have done this. I mean, it's not always... Well, the, another big part of that is, and sometimes even on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, your relationships with different people are, you're different people in different relationships mm -hmm. is what I mean. You know, you're a different person in, a, in one friendship than you are in another. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways that can lead you to sort of compartmentalize certain things to certain relationships, mm -hmm. um, which can sometimes be useful and sometimes be productive and other times be destructive. Yeah. And, it, and it really depends on, on how you do that, yeah. I think. Yeah. This, uh... I might have talked about this before and I don't remember and it doesn't really matter, but I'm very, I don't want to say good at, but I do compartmentalize more than I need to. Yeah. And what I've recognized this year was that I was, there was just so much shit packed away and it was yeah. packed in so tight and so deeply that it started to become a physical obstacle for me to like to hold on to all of the bullshit and a lot of it burned up with the fevers this year yeah and i mean that literally and that's a um that's the thing you need to write down and use as a lyric because that was actually a really great turn of phrase hey thanks uh, i'll make a mental note of that one um what uh but it's it's hard to recognize like you don't always know when you're doing it you know you don't always recognize like oh I've been sitting on this and I didn't like I didn't know that that was even a thing I was sitting on like I yeah. didn't even realize my leg had fallen asleep and I was uncomfortable yeah 
So I, I, I don't know. I wonder, I know that that, I know that it happens to a lot of people in a lot of different ways. I know that it's a universal experience and I, I got a rude awakening very recently. Um, so I'm kind of dealing. Okay. Okay. Let's put it like this. I was giving 177%. I really honestly believed that. Maybe it wasn't true, but nobody can tell me otherwise right now. That was my intention. That was where my heart was, okay? I was making an effort to show up for someone and to be there for someone and to be in that person's life. And I recognized vaguely that they were giving maybe a fraction of that. And I thought, that with enough time and enough application of love and compassion that maybe that would change. And we all know that you can't change other people and it doesn't matter how well you love them and how compassionate you are. If someone is not going to get up every day and to meet you where you're at, then they're just not doing it. Well, and the other thing I'll say is that um, sometimes in those situations, speaking from personal experience, you do have to say to somebody, hey, you weren't there for me mm. and you should Oh, I don't do that. You do though. You did that to me. Did I? Yeah, when you were sick. Oh, yeah. Did I? That, that was, was hard. Yeah. <laughs> I that, repressed it. But, <laughs> but you did that, and I needed to hear it. And sometimes Did that's I do that? You know in my mind I gave you the credit of coming to me and being like, hey, sorry, I dropped the ball. Well, it was, it was be- you didn't in so many words say, you dropped the ball. Yeah. But I, I picked up on the fact that I had dropped the ball yeah. based on, you know, a sudden change in, in attitude and posture. And I said, oh... I did that. I did that to me. Mm. Um, let's fix that right quick. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, but it did, I mean, there was a, a marked, you know, event and a marked change where I realized, oh, that's what happened. Yeah. Um, you, you know, which, which is sort of uh, an in, indirect kind of way of, of that you did, you did that. Yeah. I'm trying to get better at being direct about it. Yeah. Because I don't, you spend a lot of time feeling bad if you, if you, if you just go, oh, I feel bad <laughs> yeah. and someone else is directly involved and I don't know how to let them know that I feel bad without making them feel bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's easy when you're dying. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, the stakes, right? Yeah. It's so much easier. So, if, so what if you, you know, say something exactly. that makes people uncomfortable? Exactly. You know? I am, I am literally at death's door. Yeah. I'm very uncomfortable. So be it's not getting any worse. Be as uncomfortable with our relationship as you want. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I don't have time for that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's harder in everyday life when everything is pretty copacetic. But that, yeah. And that's the thing. And, and this is a thing that I've been in a very broad, again, kind of way approaching, um, as I was, you know, rereading, the gospel of Matthew Mm -hmm. for the first time. It's all very urgent and it's all very immediate. And a lot of it sounds, comes off as sounding very harsh. Part of that is because of the rhetorical culture it's a part of that is unfamiliar and kind of alien to us. And part of it is because it it sort of has to be a wake up call in, in that um, I think one of the biggest takeaways from it is that the things you do matter. Mm -hmm. I think that's sort of the, the um, it's more that more than anything, one thing sounding like, harsher over the top there's lots of hyperbolic you know sentences in that book of like uh um you know if your hand causes you to sin cut it off yeah and the hyperbolic implication of that it just boils down to you're responsible for yourself and the things that you do matter Mm -hmm. and they mean something and it's part of that posture of understanding your you know humanity and your mortality Mm -hmm. and your uh relationship to the world you live in and Um, it's really easy in the day-to-day mundane, you know, repetition of things to lose track of the fact that the things you do mean something. Yeah. Um, even on a very small scale, 
Um, on and, the small scale, especially, that's when it's yeah. hard to keep track of. Like this has value. Right. Like this isn't fleeting and accidental. There are no coincidences. It's all connected. Yeah. And it's all the little baby steps that you take that add up to the, you know, the great distance that you've traveled or whatever. Um. Okay. So the problem is tied directly to self-worth where it's like, well, I don't want to say anything. Like maybe it doesn't matter. Like, okay, fine. So it went to shit. Let's let it go to shit and I'll move on and do something else. And it's kind of also that millennial mindset of like, there's whatever, like I'm young, like we got time to kill. Like I'll go make some other magic, but any relationship worth having again takes effort. You you can't put those things off and you Mm -hmm. can't pretend that they don't matter if Mm -hmm. they matter. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some, I'll say this, there are some things that, that maybe don't, but I think more things matter than don't matter. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, so like having been sick and not to put you on the spot, but this is a a nice, a a good example that we can use that is not fake (laughs) for for a change. Um, having been sick, it was very eye opening because it was very, very apparent. Some people showed up and some people did not. Yeah. And I was not in a place to care one way or the other about what came afterward it was as simple as what was happening in that moment. Some people showed up and some people did not. And the people that showed up were the people that were there and that was what I focused on. But I love Taylor Ruckle so much and we're in this band together. And, and uh, yeah, not to throw anyone else under the bus. We won't even just talk throw about... throw me under the bus. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, well, I was going to talk about the band as a whole, but, like, we'll focus, since it's just you and I, we'll focus on you and I. It was one of those things where afterwards it was like, okay, well... It was so obvious, like, well, I really care about Taylor and we're going to continue to be in this band unless we're not. So let me figure that out right now. Yeah. You know, like, let me let me be like, yo, what's the deal? Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it's never it's not never. But a lot of the times lately it is harder than that. It's trickier than that. And it's not because I feel so much more ready and willing to be like, "Eh, I am. I'll go make other friendships. You know, I'll go do other things. I'll go create more magic with other people. And it really comes back to to doing a full evaluation of like, okay, well, what has all of this been worth? And that sucks. Mm -hmm. I hate doing that. I hate doing that because you don't want to admit that you've it's not wasting time, but you don't want to ever think that time spent was not spent as wisely as it could have been. Right. That there could have been more out of that time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really hard. That's really hard when there is a transgression and it's like, okay, well, you didn't show up when I needed you to and I showed up for you. Now what? Yeah. Uh, and that's where I've been lately is like, well, now what? Because I can forgive you and we can make merry and we can, you know, kind of go about things the way that they always were. But what's it worth? I'm not sure that it's worth all that much to me. And that's hard. And I, I mean, I guess that's life, though. You got to cut the dead weight. and Yeah. I don't know. Um. <laughs> Do you want to play another song? Let's play another song. What do you want to play? Um, let's do, uh, I want to do Chin Up. Oh, me too. Okay. Fun. (laughs) That's apropos, I guess. How does this one go? I know the words to this one. Ah ha 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 
asked me if I knew how to dance And then you asked me how if they move their feet back home So I looked around the room to try and understand just when I turned into a stranger here myself For the economy then The thought of you is now Doing for me at hand I'll be patient somehow And it'll all work itself out And it'll all work itself out Ah uh-huh. 
I was already patting myself on the back for remembering the way that song ends. Yeah. And that's when I made a mistake I've never made before. <laughs> that's true. I noticed we've never done that before. I've never done that specific <laughs> thing before. So you all heard it here for the first time ever. Yeah, my favorite thing about this is just doing it and not trying to clean it up or make it anything that it isn't. Yeah, no, I if appreciate that. If my voice that. cracks, then my voice cracks. I appreciate that um, kind of media. Yeah, and if we fumble, then we fumble. And yeah. that's just what I'm doing all the time. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, um, we used to record Build a Band super early in the morning for our first couple weeks of episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, side note, um, yeah. Taylor and his partner, Christine, have a podcast called Build a Band, a music and comedy interview podcast, and you should find it. It's everywhere. Interview doesn't belong in that mix. That's thank true. you for the shout out. I went music interview podcast and thought of the All Seen Eye, yeah. which is also a podcast that Taylor Uncle does. I didn't does. come here to plug any of that stuff. I was just going to be your guest. You but, didn't come um, here to plug, but we're here to plug. Um, but yeah, anyway, we used to record that show early in the morning, and then... We'd, whenever we'd think of a song, you know, I would I would sing a little of it. I'd sing a few bars of it. And because it was so early in the morning, more often than not, my voice would crack. Mm-hmm. And so I actually found myself editing out a lot of singing from our first couple fives of episodes. Yeah. Just because I would go for something and it would be, you know, uh, too early for me to be warmed up. Yeah. And I just, I would just blow it so bad. <laughs> God. Well, that's the nice thing about being able to edit, though, isn't it? Yeah, I think some of them still ended up in the in the podcast, probably. But um, yeah, it was that was one of those things where I would do it and then immediately know, nope, we're editing that out when I'm done with that's this. So funny. Yeah. Do you know it's actually um, the pneumonia EP that has humbled me uh, and has made the sainted path possible because I creatively I'm something of a perfectionist and it's not yeah. about perfection it's just if I'm going to put my hand to something and if I'm going to make something then I want to make sure that it's being presented very well yeah and being sick my voice is just trashed yeah this year has just sucked for my body um and even when we recorded those like a cover and we did an acoustic sainted path for a previous episode of open line or whatever i can't with english right now but show on radio exactly here on open lines radio i didn't even do an intro for this today anyway we can do an intro as our outro, and then you can just cut and paste. Hey, see the magic of editing. But I uh, I tried not to listen to anything that I was doing for a long time, and right now I'm in a mindset where I don't want to listen to the pneumonia EP because yeah. it just it sounds well, like what it is. The thing about that EP is that um, I won't pretend it's not messy as all hell. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. It's uh, it's very much it's very imprecise and it's very um, it's it's very kind of rough cut you know from, yeah. from the cloth yeah but that's the thing though is we did it yeah we cut from the cloth we did we we came um, at I it i think it was super important for us because at that stage it was all we were really equipped to do mm-hmm. um we were not going to be going out and trying to get shows yeah. we were not going to be doing a live stream every week where we practice and pretend that we're in front of a live audience yeah we were not going to even be learning a lot of covers because we didn't really know what your vocal range was at that point. Yeah. Um, so it was really the only thing we were equipped to do as a band. Um, and we didn't get all hung up on, you know, having somebody produce us and making it sound super clean and nice. Mm-hmm. Um, we just had our ideas and we just went for it. And and yeah, the result is very... I, I haven't listened to it either since we yeah. released it because I knew as I was releasing it, like, <clears throat> technically speaking, this is not the best, cleanest version of this. Yeah. And that wasn't the point ever. That wasn't the point. The point was to do it and to, to not sit on it and to yeah. put it out into the world. Right. Which is also the point of The Sainted Path and I think the point of a lot of what happens 
on Open Lines Radio and a, what a lot of these netcasts are about. I know you and I shy away from talking about like authenticity and honesty, yeah. but but it it really comes from a place of like, well, fuck it, we're people, and this is what we're what we're making. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, yeah, yeah. I it I want to extend myself that same kindness and compassion in all areas of my life. Yeah, you know. So when I'm dealing with all of my interpersonal relationships and when I'm really struggling, I w- would hope. I'm trying to take a step back and to take deep breaths and to breathe into where it hurts. Yeah. The same as I try and do with my body, to just take slow, deep breaths and to feel where it aches and to breathe through that specific area and to just accept it for what it is and not have any expectations of the outcome. Yeah. Having said that, let's play one more song Yeah. and go um, eat dinner. Will you indulge me with a rendition of uh, Liminal Spaces? Of course I will. Of course I will. <clears throat> oh, I've never have we ever bongoed to No, I don't think we have. This is a this is a cajon song through and through. Yeah, we're gonna figure this out. This is gonna be out. fun and it might not go great, but that's the fun of this show. <laughs> Enjoy it. That's for you and also for the audience. <laughs> okay. How does the song start? Right, right, right. You know come in right away, right? Yeah, I remember. <laughs> Shuffle my songs, let the tarot cards fall. Hey, that's a chord. <laughs> That's a chord you can play on your guitar. Anyone can play guitar. <laughs> Shuffle my songs, let the tarot cards fall where they will. It's two hours down, 29 south to Charlottesville. And I'm looking for patterns on the dashboard screen. Skip the first few and Start to see what it means Sing to me From the other side If anything's out there Just give me a sign Dusty radio 
static as something comes through on the ether waves then it's gone so we move along Chris, who is the other half of the we in that song. Hey, nice. Hi, Chris. Insofar as it's autobiographical, I was thinking about us, you know, um, there have been times when you've just been out and about in unfamiliar cities, just walking in and out of, like, antique stores and things, yeah. and so it's one of the things I was thinking about when I wrote that. That's so fun. I don't know if we've talked an awful lot about your songs. We haven't talked at all about my songs. We've talked... No- Hi! Hi! I forgot. Me too. <laughs> Oops. Uh, speaking of wheeze, um, we've talked a little bit about uh, the EP that you put out. Which one is it? Hang on, don't tell me. The one that has liminal spaces on it. What did you title it? Otherworld. Yeah, okay. I was afraid that that was the one that came before it because the album art no, leans yeah. more in that direction. Right. Um, we've talked about some of it because I had questions. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I would like to talk an awful yeah, lot more about Yeah, we should be wrapping it. this up now, but yeah. we should talk about that sometime. Um, but yeah, this was cool. I want to do more of this. I don't know if you want to do more I'm, of this. I'd be down to do this again, sure. Yeah. Well, let's see how this comes out and all of that. But let's. What do you yeah. say we sign it off? Let's sign it off. So not to take the reins from your show, but we mm-hmm. have food to get to. Well, uh, yeah, your dad came down with that potato, and it smells like barbecue sauce down here, and I'm dying. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, this is another installment of the Sainted Path. This is where I'm at. Uh, you're listening you to Open Lines Radio. The There's that. Want to just start that over? Yeah. So yeah, this is another installment of the Sainted Path. This is where we're at on Open Lines Radio. Shout out to Mark and everyone else, um, my Psychic Friends Network, for, for keeping me afloat even when my voice isn't a part of the conversation. And uh, shout out to everyone who's adding their voice to the conversation. If you're not listening to what's going on on Open Lines, you really should be. And uh, if you care about what Taylor Ruckle and I have been getting up to lately, the Pneumonia EP is on our Bandcamp, rosycopacetic.bandcamp.com. Is that true, or is it bandcamp.com forward slash rosycopacetic? No, it's rosycopacetic.bandcamp. Okay, cool. Yeah, so it's out there. Download our stuff. Listen to us. It's free. Um, That's it. Catch you later. Sometimes I rhyme slow. Sometimes I rhyme quick. 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 Sometimes I rhyme slow. Sometimes I rhyme quick. Quick. Sometimes I rhyme slower, sometimes I rhyme quick I'm sweeter and thicker than a Chico stick Here's an ice cream cone, honey, take the lick I'll go to Bay Plaza and catch a flick Want my Timberland boots so I can stop ticks Scandalous, get a whip for this mess Just left the yard, boy, now I'm blessed I feel good, per se, good state of mind Drive a red sterling and the seats recline I love it when a lady treats me kind Go to tavern on the green and have a glass of wine He say, she say, I heard it through the grapevine No static, got an automatic Too much of anything Sometimes I rhyme slow, sometimes I rhyme quick, 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 quick. Sometimes I rhyme slower, sometimes I rhyme quick, 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 quick. Sometimes I rhyme slower, sometimes I rhyme quick, 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 quick. Sometimes I rhyme slow, sometimes I rhyme quick. I was on one, two, five, and Saint Nick, waiting on a cab, standing in the rain, under my heart, three.
I should lick her with my nine millimeter. My mind is in a blur, cause you could never pay me to think this would occur. Me and this girl Jane Doe was living together. We were inseparable, no one could sever. At least that's what I thought, but later I fought with a substance and almost ended up in Supreme Court. When I was on the road doing shows, getting ends, she was in my bins getting sniffy with her friends. And even when she crashed my whip, I didn't flip. My man Slick Nick said, smooth, you're starting to slip. Time went on, I started noticing weight loss. Then I had to ask her, was she riding a white horse? At first she said no. Then she said, yo, smooth, I'm sorry, but I keep having visions of snow. I need blow. And I said, whoa, little hottie, I'm not DeLorean, Gambino, or Gotti. I don't deal coke, and furthermore, you're making me broke. I'll put you in a rehab, and I won't tell your folks. And what do you know? In 18 months, she came home, and I let her back in. And now she's sniffing again. Sometimes I rhyme slow, sometimes I rhyme quick. Sometimes I rhyme slow, sometimes I rhyme quick. Sometimes I rhyme slow, sometimes I rhyme 